good morning. It's so good to see you all this morning. If you're a visitor or a regular attender or a member, uh, my name is Pastor Jonathan, and I'm grateful that you have joined us today. Now, before we moved to Odessa uh, about four and a half years ago, we lived in a small rural farming community uh, north of Dallas. And our house was at the end of the town, and it basically backed up uh, to a large field where uh, one season they would uh, grow wheat, and then the next season they would grow corn. And then on September the 1st, it was dove hunting season, and so we always woke up to the sound of shotguns. It had nothing on the 4th of July in Odessa when dove hunting season was going there. As an effect, uh, looking for water and looking for safety, oftentimes creatures would leave the fields and they would show up at our house and we would see uh, wild animals come to our house pretty often. And I remember one instance when my oldest daughter was about five or six. My parents were coming from Mississippi for her birthday, and she was so excited to see them as a five-year-old. And so we were watching them on our location app and watching them as they got closer and closer. And then when we saw that they were pulling in our driveway, I remember shouting out to Mackenzie, hey, Grana and Pops are here. They're in the driveway. And Mackenzie was so excited as a five-year-old that she just bust out the door and ran out to the car to give them a big hug. Not long after that, just a few moments later, I heard my dad scream, Jonathan, shut the door. And my dad is not one to scream or to make a commotion. So I was like, I know something has gone terribly wrong. So I shut the door, didn't ask questions, and then went around the back door to see what was happening. And when I came around, I realized what had gone wrong. When Mackenzie had busted out the door in a hurry to see her grandma and pop, she had failed to see that there was a giant snake draped across the front of our door, getting sun in, in, the, in the middle of the day, enjoying the heat of the day. And in this moment, I began to realize how dangerous and hopeless of a situation this could have been if Mackenzie would have leapt just an inch shorter over that do doorway and stepped on that snake and woke it up from its nap. However, Mackenzie in this moment was not alone, right? She had her dad and she had her grandfather looking out for something that could have been coming after her in this moment. And so I did what every good dad does, right? You go get the garden tool and you chop off the head of the snake and then you hang it up and somebody takes a picture and puts it on Facebook, right? Like that's what everybody does. I think we've all been in situations where something or someone has been coming after us and it seems hopeless and it seems helpless, and as Christians and believers in Jesus Christ, what do we do when someone is coming after us? What do we do when there's a hopeless situation that we are in? Who is it that comes to our defense in these moments? I want us to look at Psalm chapter 3 to discover an answer to this. Last week we continued in our summer break series called Summer in the Psalms, walking through a psalm a week until school is back in session in August. And Last week, we looked at Psalm chapter 2, and we discovered that those who take a refuge in God are blessed. And we saw that if you go against God, it's going to end in your destruction. But for a person who fears God, follows him, and takes refuge in him, they will be blessed. Our big idea from last week is God is sovereign over all things, and those who take refuge in him are blessed. Today, we'll be in Psalm chapter 3 and discover what to do when our enemies are too many to count. So today, let's begin with the reading of God's Word in Psalm chapter 3. Psalm chapter 3. I'll read the whole psalm, and then we'll break it down in sections. It says this, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. 
Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on all your people. Now, before we jump into this psalm, let's get a little bit of background on what's going on when David is writing uh, this song and this prayer here. Uh, psalm 3 was written by David during a really difficult time of his life, and we know that because of the superscript that we see above verse 1 and right below where the heading is of chapter 3. It says, A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. So we see the difficult, the details of the difficult time in his life from reading 2 Samuel chapter 13 through 18. Now I'll spare you from reading six chapters during my sermon, but you really should go read 2 Samuel chapter 12 through 16 when you get home. Uh, we see in 2 Samuel chapter 12 through 16 that David's son Amnon found his half-sister Tamar to be very beautiful. And so he did the unthinkable and violated his half-sister and then David's other son, Absalom, rightly so, was steaming mad about what had happened. And so in defense of his sister's honor, Absalom killed Amnon. But he didn't stop with that. No, Absalom then began an uprising against his father, King David. And slowly over a period of four years turned many people against David's authority and kingship until it turned into a very violent insurrection. We see in 2 Samuel that Absalom was very good looking and he had a lot of charisma and people listened to him and they trusted him. So many people joined in this revolt against King David. So David, in the height of this insurrection, when he wrote this psalm, fled Jerusalem at night, saying to all of his servants who were with him, let us flee or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. So this is the context of Psalm chapter 3. David, who's the king, is having an insurrection by his son, Absalom, who's coming after the throne. And he's fleed Jerusalem in the middle of the night. And he's surrounded by many enemies and is in what seems like a hopeless and a helpless situation. So how did David respond in this moment? Well, let's look at Psalm chapter 3 to find out. Verse 1 through 2. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Well, David begins here in prayer. He begins praying to God and telling God, hey, God, this is what my enemies are doing. Uh, God, uh, my enemies are many and they're rising up against me. See, it was bad enough that David's own son was leading an insurrection against him and had become his enemy. But now even worse, many of David's trusted people had also turned against him and joined in this rebellion. I mean, think about that. These are people that David knew and he trusted and he loved and he had done life with, but yet they were turning against him and they were coming after his throne. They were coming after his life. They wanted his head. And then he uses this word many here, and we can understand the word many as multiplying. 
So there's a bunch, and they're becoming more, so they are multiplying in this moment. So David's clearly here crying out to God. Hey, God, this is what is happening to me. People are rising up against me. I think many of us can relate to David in this moment. Like many of us have been in situations where those who we were the closest to or people that we knew, loved, and trusted have worked to hurt us and harm us rather than to help us. In fact, David uses this military language right here. He's saying that many are rising up against me. In other words, I'm outgunned and I'm outnumbered and I am surrounded. I felt hopeless and helpless in this situation. But notice what David does right here. He tells God about the problem. So he begins with telling God about the problem. Don't you think God already knew what was going on? Like God's all knowing. Don't you think he knew what was going on with David? Absolutely he knew. But David was taking all of his problems to the Lord in prayer. Second, we see here, further, David says, many are talking about me, saying that there is no salvation for me in God. This is this imagery that David's painting here in this prayer of David's enemies are closing in. And while they're closing in, they begin to taunt him. They realize that he's outnumbered and he's outgunned. And they begin to taunt him and they say, will God really save you? Will your God really deliver you? I mean, David's in a tight spot here. It's his own son that had convinced his own people to come after him, and he was having to flee in the middle of the night. I mean, this is not his best day right now. Further, his own son is now leading people who are taunting him and asking him if there really is any hope for him in God. This is a bad situation. David repeats the use of the word many a lot in verses 1 through 2 saying, giving this imagery of this is growing, like it started out bad, but now it's getting really bad and it continues to get bad. And then they're telling, hey, there's no help for you in God. Charles Spurgeon said, it's the most bitter of all afflictions to be led to fear that there is no hope for us in God. David's circumstances even led onlookers to conclude that God had turned his back on David for the sins that he had committed earlier in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Uh, where I mean, just think about David's life and what he had done in 2 Samuel chapter 11. He committed adultery with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, and then he killed her husband. He repented and God forgave him, but David still had consequences to face for his action. And we even see God tell him of some of the consequences in 2 Samuel chapter 12, where God says, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And so we can see that this promise is a reality that's coming to pass. And some people are saying, there's no hope for you in God because your judgment's here. Like people are rising up against you. God's turned his back on you. Just a side note, I think there's an important thing that we can learn right here for all of us. The Lord will forgive us of our sins, but he may not remove the consequences of our sins. One preacher gave a great illustration of this. He said a little boy was continuously rebelling against his parents, and to teach him a lesson, the dad took a bag of nails outside, and he would hit a nail into the barn door every time he disobeyed as a visual of how many times this boy had disobeyed. And then after the little boy saw the nails becoming very numerous on the door, he repented of rebelling against his parents. So to demonstrate forgiveness, his father went and took all of the nails out of the barn door. But later the son returned and he was just bawling. He was just crying and in tears. 
And the father said, what's wrong? I forgave you. And the son said, the nails are removed, but the holes remain. It's the same way with our sin. See, our sins may be forgiven, but often the consequences remain. And Psalm 3 warns us that the scars of our sins may remain after the wounds have healed. Further, it warns us not to play God and to tell others what God is doing during their trouble, like we see in the book of Job, where Job's friends are saying God's abandoned you, and his wife is saying God has abandoned you. See, those who witnessed David's situation concluded, and they told him, there is no salvation for you and God. But what did David do? He took it to the Lord in prayer, telling God what his enemies were doing and telling him what his enemies were saying. Let's continue to see how David continues to pray in verses 3 through 4. It says this, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. David begins this huge contrast here. He says, This is what the enemy is saying and doing. They're saying that there is no hope for me in God, but this is who my God is. They're, he's not who they are saying he is. So notice, David doesn't begin to quietly believe what his enemies are saying, but instead he prays out loud to God, reminding himself of the truth of who God is. First, David says, Hey, you, O Lord, you are a shield about me. Now, when we think of a shield today, I don't necessarily carry a shield around with me in my pickup truck, but I think of like Captain America who has the shield, right? Or SWAT team who has a shield that they carry in front of them. And when we think of a shield in this way, it's merely something that covers your head and your heart, right? That you hold in front of you to protect your head and your heart. But David says, God, you're a shield about me. You're a shield all around me. You shield every part of me from the top of my head to the tip of my toes. There is nobody who's getting around God Almighty because he is a shield all around me. He is a shield about me. And David not only uses this imagery here, but we can also see it 12 other times through the book of Psalms. And in fact, maybe David is recounting the words of God himself in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, where God told Abram, do not be afraid. I am your shield. And we can even see this imagery in the words of Paul when we look at the book of Ephesians. And he uses this imagery of a shield of faith that distinguishes the flaming darts from the evil one. And David is saying here, my enemies, they're after me. They've been after me. And they're saying that there is no refuge in God. But... There is refuge in God, and he's a shield about me that surrounds me from my enemies. Hey, Christian, can I just remind you this morning, when the enemies are coming after you, the Lord is your shield too. Further, David continues, he says, the Lord is my glory. What does that mean? Well, it means that any praise and honor that David possesses has come from the Lord. And David's saying that his sense of self-worth and identity is rooted firmly in who God says he is. So when everything's falling apart, like his hope is not in his throne, his hope is not in his riches, his hope is not in his fame, but his hope is in heaven in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, David's saying, my enemy is saying there's no deliverance because they see what I've lost on earth, but they don't know who I am in heaven. 
See, I am a child of the king. I am a son of God. I am somebody, not because of what I've done on earth, but I'm a somebody because I'm adopted by the king of heaven who says I am somebody. I am his son. Hey, Christian, when the enemies come after you today, remember the Lord is our glory. Finally, David says in this verse, the Lord is the lifter of my head. What's the opposite of a lifted up head? Well, it's a droopy head, right? It's this idea of being downcast and depressed or being embarrassed, walking with your head sagging, right? And certainly David has suffered much embarrassment. I mean, his own son for four years has told other people that he would be a better king than them and has tried to sway them to follow him instead of King David. And many have listened to Absalom and they've gone against David. But David says here, this may be my current situation, but the Lord can fix this. See, David fled from his throne in the middle of the night with his head hanging down and his tail between his legs. And we even see in 2 Samuel chapter 15 that tells us that David fled to the Mount of Olives to pray. And he was weeping and he was barefoot and he had his head covered. I mean, that's not a good look, right? This is a man with a droopy head and a downcast spirit. And it would have been easy for him to remain in that position. But when you remember who you are in God, when you remember who God says you are, then it causes your head to be lifted, right? See, even in the face of the enemy, David declares, it's not my position on earth that lifts my head, but it's who you say I am that causes my head to be lifted. Hey, Christian, when the enemies are coming after you, Remember, the Lord is the lifter of our heads too. Then David, in verse 4, he says, so he continues, he says this in verse 4, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. So why did David have this confidence that we see in verse 3? Why did he have this confidence in the Lord that he would be a shield, and he'd be his glory, and he'd be the lifter of his head? Because David remembered what the Lord had already done for him. See, David had a firm foundation of understanding the faithfulness of God. I mean, remember, this is the guy that went after a giant with a slingshot, right? Like he had faith in God. He had seen what God could do. He understood the faithfulness of God. So in verse 4, David says, I cry out aloud to the Lord and he answers me. See, David's confidence is not rooted in who he is, but his confidence is rooted in the faithfulness of God and God's divine deliverance in the past. And he recognizes that God has protected him in the past, so why would he stop now? See, God God can be trusted to save us in the present because no matter how hopeless our situation may be, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is David's cry here. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, we need not fear a frowning world while we rejoice in a prayer hearing God. And David is rejoicing in a prayer hearing God. And I mean, notice what David's first action is. He goes to the Lord in prayer. He comes to the Lord and he prays. He says, hey, here's the situation. There's many against me. They're saying that you're not for me. But God, I know that's not true because I remember your past faithfulness. And I remember that when you've heard my cries in the past, you have answered them. You answered them from your holy hill. Now, what does that mean? We saw in Psalm chapter 2, at the end of Psalm chapter 2, I think it was verse 8, it talks about this being a place of authority, a place of anointing. 
So David is saying, hey, I cried out to God, and the only one who has supreme authority spoke and answered my prayers. So David has a proper mindset about who God is and how God answers him. And it's this remembrance of who God is and what he's done that gives David peace. So he has confidence who God is and it gives him peace. So how does David respond now that he understands and he has peace in God no matter what his situation is? Look at verse 5 through 6. It says this, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me and all around. See, this remembrance of who God is and what he's done gives David peace and allows him to rest in the Lord. I mean, look at verse 5. What did David do? He lays down and he goes to sleep. I mean, there's many coming after him in this moment. And they're saying that there's no deliverance for him from God. But David says, I know what is true. God is my shield. God is my glory. God is the lifter of my head. And I have confidence in who God is because of what he's done in the past. So you know what I'm going to do, folks? I'm just going to go lay down and take a nap. Like, I'm just going to be real honest here right now. Like, it's hard for me to sleep through the night when I've got a brisket on the smoker, right? Like, I'm stressing out, like, is my house going to catch on fire? And I'm, am I going to get it past where it needs to be before I wrap it? Like, I don't sleep well when I've got a brisket on the smoker. But David has many coming after him, and he says, you know what? Good night, y'all. Like, this is the ultimate confidence in the Lord. But then notice what David says in the second half of verse 5. He says, hey, y'all, made it through the night, had a good night's sleep, slept good. I woke up again, and the Lord once again sustained me. I think this is a little bit of insight we'll see in Psalm 4 and verse 8, where David says this, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone make me dwell in safety. That's David's mindset here. See, David wrote that psalm, and it gives us some insight to what he's thinking here. See, David has the peace of who God is. So he's able to lie down and sleep because he knows that the Lord is going to sustain him and make him dwell in safety no matter who it is that's coming after him. Hey, Christian, when the enemies are coming after us, remember, we can rest in the Lord as our sustainer as well. Look at verse 6. David continues. He says, Further, because of my confidence in who God is and knowing what he's done for me, I not only laid down to sleep, but I'm also not afraid of the thousands of people who are coming about me or coming all around me. In other words, I can rest confidently in the middle of adversity and conflict because who God is and who God says I am, right? Therefore, I'm not afraid because I know who God is and who God says I am. I'm his child. I, I am his son. He's going to protect me. Hey, Christian, when the enemies are coming after us, remember we can rest in the Lord who takes away our fears as well. I just want to pause here for a moment and remind us of who God is. Hey, maybe today there are many who are rising up against you. You're in here and you're just in the conflict, like there's people who are rising up against you. Maybe you're here today and there's just a few who are rising up against you, but it feels like many and conflict every way that you go. Maybe today there are those who look at you and say, hey, for you, there is no help in God. Like maybe there are those who they know your past and they see you and they say, hey, you've been too bad. 
or you're not good enough, or you're not polished enough, or you're not from the right type of family, or you're not from the right side of town, or you're not educated enough, or you've got a past, or you've got a present, whatever it may be, maybe there are some or many who are saying that there is no help for God in you. But today, I want to remind us all of this. Romans 5, 8 tells us that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6.23 tells us that while the payment for our sin is death, God offers the free gift of eternal life that was paid in full by his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 8 tells us that when God is for us, nobody can be against us, and that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, height nor death, or anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3 tells us that the Lord is faithful and he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I just want to remind you of who God says you are today. In our world, there are so many that are trying to tell us who we are, but hear who God says you are today. We know this truth, the gospel. God is holy, and he's perfect, and he's never done anything wrong, and he alone is good. And none of us here are arguing that we are good. We're here because we recognize that we're not, that we're sinful, we're sinners, and we keep on sinning. But yet we recognize that that separates us from a good God presently and for eternity and creates a problem there. So what hope is there for any of us? Well, for all of us, our hope alone is in Jesus Christ. He is the only hope any of us have. Be reminded of that today. So when your world is falling apart and your jobs are, uh, you're losing your jobs or people are coming after you or things are not going well or you don't know how to parent your kids, remember God is for you. We can remember this truth. Our hope is in Christ alone because God loves us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to earth as a baby. He was fully God and fully man, yet lived a sinless, perfect life here on cross and on a cross and went and went to a cross and died for your sins and my sins. Three days later, he defeated sin and death when he rose from the grave. So we know the truth of 1 John, where it tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And if we repent of our sins, believe in Jesus Christ and follow him, then we will be saved from our sin that separates us from God. Hey, today, maybe you've never done that. I'd invite you to do that today at the end of our service. Or maybe you have done that today, but you forget who God says you are, that you are a redeemed and forgiven child of God, that if you've turned from your sins and you follow him, you are forgiven. You are a child of God. So no matter who is coming after you, we can have the same confidence that David does here. In our home, we have a piece of artwork that hangs right above our couch. And it's the last thing that I see when I leave the house in the morning and the first thing that I see when I return in the mornings. And we've had it for probably as long as we've had kids. And so I can tell you at least our older two kids can say it by memory. And it's 1 Joshua 1.9. It says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Hey, Christian, this is true. 
I just want to remind you of this. God is with you wherever you go in whatever situation you may find yourselves in. So today, be reminded of David's words that we've seen today in just the first uh, five or the first six verses. When the enemies are coming, God is our shield. When the enemies are coming, God is our glory. When the enemies are coming, the Lord is the lifter of our head. When the enemies are coming, we can rest in the Lord as our sustainer. When the enemies are coming, we can rest in the Lord who takes away our fears of our enemies. Hey, Christian, be encouraged today. The Lord is with you. No matter who or how many are coming after you, the Lord is with you. Let's finish looking at Psalm 3, looking at verses 7 through 8. It says this, the last two verses. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and your blessing be upon your people. So all of Psalm 3 has been a prayer, right? We can understand that. But it's been a prayer of David telling God of his reality, of where he's at and who's coming after him, what they're saying. It's been a prayer of remembering who God is and expressing David's confidence in God. However, in verse 7, we finally get to David's petition, David's request of the Lord. David begins by asking God to deliver him from his enemies. And David beautifully prays, save me. Oh my God, I'm in a bad spot. Save me, oh my God. See, in verse 2, his enemies are telling him that there is no salvation for him and God. But then David knows that's not true. And in verse 7, he went to the Lord himself and he cried out to God, Save me, O God. Notice how he directs God. He says, My God. He has a personal relationship with God because they have a past. He knows how faithful he is. My God. David then prays, God, not only save me, but knock my enemies down and knock out their teeth. Those are harsh words, aren't they? Any way you slice them. But notice David doesn't say, I'm going to knock out their teeth. David says, God, you fight my battles for me. I'm just over here taking a nap. God, you fight my battles for me. Because I know when everything seems hopeless and helpless, God is going to get after my enemies may sound harsh to us as well, but also notice that David doesn't ask for him to take their lives. He just asked for him to give them a whooping that they wouldn't soon forget, right? One preacher said this, and I thought it was really creative. He said, maybe David asked God to knock out their teeth so they can't devour him. So even though he's surrounded by predators who were trying to nip at his heels and bite him, when God knocks out their teeth, they couldn't even take a bite out of him. They can just gum him, right? See, regardless, we can understand from this text that when the enemies are coming, God will fight for us. Finally, we see in verse 8, David declares the opposite of what the people are saying in verse 2. So some are saying, they are saying that there is no salvation for David and God. But David prays and reminds himself that salvation does not belong to man. Man does not get a say, but salvation belongs to God alone. See, the only thing that you and I bring to the table for salvation is our sinfulness, right? It's God who does the saving. 
There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation or bring anything to the table. It is purely a gift of God like we saw in the book of Romans just a moment ago. Salvation belongs to God alone. And David is not just praying this for himself, but he also prays this blessing would be on all of God's people, that they would remember that when the enemies are coming, God will give you the victory over them. Hey, believer, today remember this. When the enemies are coming, God will fight for us. When the enemies are coming, God will give us the victory over them. may not look like the way that we picture it. may not be the way that we imagine it. It may be in heaven with him when our life ends here on earth, but God will give us the victory over them. This is what God's word says and what it means. But I wonder just real briefly today how we might apply this to our lives. I've just got three really short applications for us today. First is this. Often what others meant for evil against us, God meant it for good. See, oftentimes we don't know why people attack us or people come after us or people, uh, who, or who, people who come against us. But often these moments, just like with David, God uses these moments to teach us humility, doesn't it? Like, there's really not all that much that's great about me. I mean, David was a king. He had lots of wealth. He had lots of possessions. He had lots of things. But God used this moment to remind him there's really not that much that's great about you apart from Christ who has saved you, apart from your relationship with God. Like our crowns and our our thrones or our jobs and our money, they can all disappear in an instant. But it's not those things that our confidence lies in, is it? However, it's easy for us to become confident in those things. And even in ourselves, like really in West Texas, like, hey, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can fight my battles on my own. It's easy for us to think that we don't need the Lord in difficult situations. But hear me, I'm convinced that the Lord often allows us to go through hard times to remind us of our reliance upon him. Why do we go through hard times often? to remind us of our full reliance upon Jesus Christ. So in that way, we can see that oftentimes, though evil may come against us, God uses it for his good and for his glory so that we can be reminded of our confidence that it's not in ourselves, but our confidence rests in Christ alone. Second application I have for us today, the life of the faithful is not free from the attack and pain of others. I think we know this today especially in our culture and in our world. But sometimes we can become convinced in our minds, whether we say it out loud or not, that for those who follow Jesus Christ and those who go to church and they do the right things, that our lives will not be under attack. But we know that there's nothing further from the truth, right? David never says that his confidence is that he will not be attacked, but he says that his confidence is in the Lord alone. See, David's confidence is not that the thousands won't come after him and won't attack him, but his confidence, his confidence is in God's deliverance of him from his attackers, that God is using this for his glory. Now, none of us want to be attacked, and none of us enjoy when we're attacked, and we're not like, please let me be attacked in this moment, physically, spiritually, verbally, or mentally. But we need to remember the tension of the psalm in these moments. They say, there's no salvation for you in the Lord. There's no salvation for you in God. But God says, blessed are those who take refuge in him. Salvation belongs to the Lord. See, the life of the believer does not mean that we're going to have a life of ease. I think we know that. It's quite the opposite. 
However, we can rest in the confidence that no matter what may be said about us on earth, in heaven we are called a child of God. And one day we'll be reunited with him. Our last application is this. When attacks come, when difficult times come, remember the past faithfulness of God. Oftentimes when the attacks of the enemy or others come or the lies come and they begin to fill our head and maybe we begin to believe their lies that there's no hope for us. There's no help for us in God. That we really are so bad that God cannot love us. But in these moments, remember the faithfulness of God. Remember what Scripture says. Remember your past experiences. Recall your family's past experiences of the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. God never changes. We started our service off reading Exodus chapter 15 right after uh, the, uh, the salvation of the Israelites from Egypt. And, and they had their exodus and they crossed the, uh, the sea there. And, and we begin our service reading that scripture where they're rejoicing in their salvation from Egypt. Remember God's past faithfulness. In your life, remember how God has made a lost sinner saved in him. Remember that time that you prayed for your child when they were lost and God saved them. Remember the time when you lost that job and God brought another one along. Remember that time when you didn't have enough money to make the ends meet and God provided. Remember the past faithfulness of God so that we can trust and rest in the faithfulness of God today who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm just going to remind you if you're a parent or a grandparent in here, don't just remind yourselves. But tell your children the story of God's faithfulness in your lives. Tell your children of how God has been faithful when you were young and you were broken, you're hungry, and God provided. Tell your children of how God provided when you lost the job. Give testimony to the faithfulness of God in the past of your life. Don't keep that to yourselves. Tell your children, tell your grandchildren so they can remember the faithfulness of God in difficult times. Now, at our, the beginning of our time, I asked this question. As Christians, believers of Jesus Christ, what do we do when someone comes after us? What hope is there for us in hopeless situations? Today, I just want to simply remind you that there is hope in God, a faithful God who loved us while we were still sinners and sent his son to die for us. This doesn't mean that we'll live a life of ease and nothing evil will never be done against us. But it does mean that our life is free from pain and attack. It doesn't mean that our life is free from attack or pain. And it doesn't mean that the trials, lies, and attacks won't come against us. But it does mean that we have a hope that is not in this world. Our hope lies in heaven. Hey, Christian, be encouraged today. God is a shield about you. God is your glory. And God is the lifter of your head. Rest in him alone. Our big idea for today is this. We can have confidence in our God who protects and sustains his children. And maybe in this moment, you need to come to this altar and just to use it to uh, pray that God would fight your battles for you, that God would remind you who he is. Let's do that right now. Maybe today you don't have hope in God. You've never placed your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And you haven't turned from your sins and you're not following him. Today, won't you do that? Won't you come forward and place your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ today? And I can help you do that today or any day of the week if you call the office. Hey, church, I love you so much. Let's pray.